Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome to this season finale, episode 21, season three of This Spiritual Fix. Today we are going to be wrapping up our season about the root chakra and the mother wound with a look at intimacy. Enjoy. This Spiritual Fix, Two Mystical Mamas Hacking the Self-Help Game with Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hi, Anna. Hey, Christina. How, is, how are you? How is I? How is you? How is you? I'm good. How about you? <laughs> good. So what's been going on with you, Anna? So my husband and I are taking an online course called Wild Fit, and it's with Mind Valley, and it was like our Christmas gift to each other. Oh, cool. we, we split it, and then we both started it together. We're like on day forty, so um, basically eating the way nature intended, so to speak. So it's a little bit different than like a keto diet or any of these fad diets. It's more like a way of life to eat with the seasons, and to really understand biology and evolution, which is something I didn't understand before when it came to food, how like human evolution had so much to do with what we should and shouldn't eat. And it's been really, really good. I feel like I, I, I'd like to say next time we record, I'll know better, but I think it is curing my PMDD, which is my severe premenstrual syndrome because I was totally asymptomatic last cycle. My mood is better. Everything is better. I'm finally recognizing how blood sugar relates to hormones and mood swings and food cravings. By taking sugar out of my diet and grains, I'm just more even keel all the time. And it just feels really good. So I feel like I'm finally paying attention to my body in a way that I never even knew how to before. That's awesome. And I feel like it has a lot to do with the mother wound as well, as we've been talking about in this season, because one of the things you have to omit from eating in this diet is dairy. And he gives you all the science behind why we shouldn't be eating dairy. But I believe like dairy has so much to do with the mother wound because it's like dairy comes from mothers and it's for lactating babies and so we're adults here drinking milk like what it's like we're still trying to get that mother love mother juice and it's so weird now that i see it like that and and yeah it's for breastfeeding babies yeah and it's for breastfeeding Mm -hmm. cows like it's even not even for humans it's for another species so like i don't know i've just realized that like 
not drinking milk has a lot to do with mother wound stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's basically what I'm up to right now is just feeling physically better. Good. That's, I'm just up to feeling healthy and great and beautiful. <laughs> I am. I'm great. And yeah, I'm like my before and after photos, I can see that the swelling in my face and body is going down. Like, I don't think I'm losing fat. I think I'm just losing a lot of inflammation. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I am really, speaking of the mother wound, I'm very excited about what has been going on with our shop at oh the moment. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we have, for the primal wounds, some of y'all may or may not know, we created packages that were PDFs and meditations for handling the primal wounds because we didn't really think it was responsible of us, honestly, to like give people access to their primal wounds without giving them something, some sort of resource that they could handle in order to be able to do that. And we feel the same way about the mother wound. But now with the mother wound, we've done a much more interactive, really kind of stepped it up like 10 notches, even from the primal wounds. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. We, We both, I mean, it has, we've put in more than I would guess you know, 60 to 100 hours of labor into yeah. this course. And basically it's in our shop. If you go to our website, thespiritualfix.com forward slash shop, you'll see it in there. It's through Teachable. So basically it'll like bookmark where you are. And it's got meditation. It's got a past life regression. If you're one of those people who think that they don't have a mother wound and, and they or I should say they don't know why they would have attachment issues when they had the perfect childhood. Yep. So it has a past life regression in there if you want to go back and see if maybe this stuff comes from another life. And it's just got a lot of stuff. And I myself am working through the course and it's a lot of eye-opening stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So even us, you know, we, we've talked about the, the different layers that you experience as you go through these things and how it's like an onion and you just get to a deeper layer and you get to a deeper layer. And it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable how those things go. And also there's an app with teachable. So you can, once you sign up to the course, you can actually use the app. And so then you can listen to the audios anytime you want. You can bookmark them on your phone in that way too, which is great. And then also download all the PDFs and things like that. And there's like eight interactive exercises and in journal prompts and videos and hypnosis and meditations. And it's a lot of good stuff. And like I said, like I myself am kind of taking the course. I wanted to take it to see what it would be like to be on the student side of it. We kind of go through all the three different things a mother is supposed to give, which is nurturance, protection, and guidance. And I'm like, I'm going to stay in protection for a few weeks. Like you can go at your own pace, right? It's ideally six weeks, but you can go at your own pace. And I'm basically spending three weeks in protection because it's a big one for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I can say that, you know, when we do the meditations, we channel them from a number of different places, whether they're from Archangel Michael or from the Great Mother. And it's really, really interesting to do the meditations and then to listen to them and then to actually do each other's meditations too. (laughs) So we test everything before we do it. And it's really fascinating how much you learn in the process of listening to your own meditations as well as other people, as well as each other's meditations, right? Going through the course. So yeah. It's, it, it, it brings up stuff. And I think, honestly, I can tell you guys that the work that I've done over the last six months with the mother wound of gaining access, expanding my awareness and having my, my awareness expanded sometimes, me fighting it tooth and nail, and and then the processing that has happened is has 
just changed my life in the most remarkable ways. Like what? What are you seeing? I well, I can see you're softer. I well, I'm I'm. You hate men less. Yeah, that's that's a lot with intimacy, which we'll be talking about today. But I would say that actually the main things that I have are the way that I mother is incredibly different, right? Because I'm not coming from a place of feeling as if I like. I could get to places where I was so stressed that it felt like I had nothing to give because I hadn't given anything. I, it was like, it's just like, I've said this before. It's like a chain reaction, right? It's like, if your tank is empty for protection or nurturance or guidance, you don't have any gas to give your kids. Like, it's not like you can fuel their cars when you literally have nothing inside your, of you, right? So I would be like, I need to nurture them and I need to like, I need to pull this out from somewhere in my body. And it's like, it feels like sometimes it felt like leaching it out of my own bones. Like I literally didn't have the nutrition to give, to be able to give to my kids. And now that I'm filling up these tanks on my own and I have this whole beautiful family, inner family that I'm just like, oh my God, all of these people feel nurtured and loved. I just have so much to give to my kids, when right? When you say inner family, you're talking about inner internal family systems from the previous episode, right? Yeah, I'm talking about internal family systems from the uh, the previous episode. And that's kind of the context that I look at things in. But effectively, there's still just these buckets of protection, nurturance, and guidance, which have been filled up because I've, I've actively filled them up. I've actively recognized that in my higher self is capable of filling all of those up. And suddenly, my bucket's full, so I can easily fill somebody else's bucket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also my relationship with my husband has gotten a lot better. It's been coupled with that as well as I took a weekend with Satyan and Suzanne Raja. It was a sex, passion, and enlightenment weekend, and it was a couple's weekend. And it was that was at the same time as the mother wound stuff was happening. And I cannot tell you, it was absolutely incredible for changing my relationship with my partner, as well as help. Honestly, it felt a lot like recognizing that as a partner when you have the mother wound or the father wound which we'll be talking when you have the mother wound or the father wound which we'll be talking about next season you know the tendency to want to go into a child position as as a partner like to be like oh you're my father you're going to take care of me or oh you're my you're going to take care of me now, right? Like this whole like thing mm-hmm. completely takes away all sex, passion, and enlightenment from any relationship that you have, right? So like by doing this mother wound stuff, I really feel like it f- helps start the journey of facilitating coming into your relationship as a full-grown adult capable of handling all of the emotions and things that come in as well as all of the massiveness and bigness of having a very intimate and passionate relationship. So, yeah, Yeah. it's great. Previously in this whole season, we've been talking about the attachment wounds, which is the mother wound, which is like avoidant attachment, anxious attachment, disorganized attachment. And so what are all of those things keeping us from experiencing yet craving is intimacy. So I feel like intimacy is the great season finale because it's kind of closing the chapter on the attachment wound, a.k.a. the mother wound. So, yeah, I wanted us to talk about intimacy today. Because I think we both recognize different ways that we we both avoid intimacy. Like you do it in different ways than I do it. And just kind of recognizing how we're avoiding intimacy and what we're trying to do to, you know, change that 
and what things we're seeing from it. So that's what I wanted to talk today because my guess is between you and me and our brutal honesty, uh, someone out there (laughs) is going to hear it and be like, yeah, I am also afraid of intimacy or I can see that in me. So that's why we're doing it. Yeah. 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 I think it's a really good wrap up of the season because in a lot of ways, the mother wound is all about intimacy. Obviously, sex is about intimacy. So we had the entire, you know, we had the entire segment on the sex and spirituality series going on as well. So mm-hmm. I think it's a really good combination there. And then also, a lot of this for me got triggered from the, the conversation from Ainsley McLeod. So, yeah, yeah, Ainsley McLeod was... Yeah. All right. So you want to start, Christina? Tell us a little bit about intimacy. Yeah, so there are a lot of different systems that can probably tell you different ways to kind of categorize intimacy, but we are going to give you, I think, which is a a relatively simple understanding of intimacy. We hear people refer to emotional intimacy, physical intimacy. I also would say that there's a level of like intellectual intimacy and spiritual intimacy. So four types of intimacy. The first one is physical intimacy. The second would be emotional intimacy. The third would be intellectual intimacy, which I think is something that doesn't necessarily get talked about a lot. But, you know, given that we have a physical, emotional and mental and spiritual body, this is kind of the mental body's intimacy. And then the fourth is kind of a spiritual intimacy, right, which is really communing with the deep places within or communing with people's higher selves. And for physical intimacy, I think it's not just it's not just like hugging your kids or sex with your partner. It can also be experiential, like like people who are in wars together or in the army together. They talk about this camaraderie. Yeah. Like you and I got that from being in a Vipassana course together. I know when I ran cross country, there was like a certain level of bonding you bond with mm. people when you're physically like they say the people who sweat together get together, which is like a joke about sexual attraction but I think also it's just true like if you emit if you sweat if you like experience struggle physically with someone you bond with them oh I like that I like that a lot yeah Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense so you know there's so many we could probably just talk the entire different times about the different types of intimacy but I think it's really important in this conversation to recognize that if it helps to categorize intimacy that's great because maybe you can see that you're really good at experiential intimacy and physical intimacy, but you're not emotionally present, right? So you're not experiencing emotional intimacy when you do that. Or if you are so good at making intellectual friends, right? Like, and you're telling them everything intellectual, but you're not sharing yourself on a very deep level when you're with them, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes you just have intellectual intimacy with friends and you never get to that deep level, but... If it is that you're seeing a pattern in which throughout your life you aren't going deep with people or you aren't kind of seeing their their higher selves or you aren't, you know, emotionally sharing with them in any kind of way, like f- revealing your feelings or allowing them to reveal their feelings, then there's a lack of intimacy going on in one of these things, which could be indications of a mother wound or it could be just things for you to observe and see and, and grow your awareness of. Mm-hmm. So that's really what we wanted to say in terms of these different categories. It's a good tool for gaining awareness about what your patterns are and what you have, you know, what you have an opportunity to grow in your life. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, intimacy is so important. 
Like, why are we striving for intimacy? Because it's connection. It's about connecting with self and others in a non-judgmental way. Yeah. And I think what's important before we even get into the conversation is to say that there is no goalpost with intimacy. Like, you'll never hit the end. It's mm-hmm. like Ram Dass said, even when he got enlightened, he realized there was parts of him he still didn't know. And I think intimacy is about connection and curiosity and acceptance and we're never going to get to the end of it it's like thinking that you could read everything on the internet you know go on google there's too much info i mean it's just like no end it's infinite like we can never say i got to the end of my intimacy goal or something so i want to just put it the preface out here that intimacy is not a place it's a it's a way of being and we grow in that but like i don't think that we can ever get to the end of intimacy and be like okay i hit it yep yep and and one of the things that we don't mention a lot but i think i've come to understand recently is that we live on this planet and we don't have full knowledge of ourselves or other people for a reason because we're on the planet to play the game, right? We're on the planet to play the game of deepening our intimacy with other people. Why would, why would we end up on a planet? Like if you believe that there is some higher design for things, why would you end up on a planet with other people who you don't know? And everyone wants intimacy and everyone's sabotaging it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So it's like this totally fascinating game we're playing where our goal is set out in front of us, the people around us, the things around us, you know, our goal isn't necessarily to protect ourselves from, from getting hurt. It is to a certain extent, but like ultimately what we're aiming for and what we've known as, as the masters do is this opening and this vulnerability and this intimacy with themselves and others that goes and transcends time, space, reality, all of those different things. Like you're able to, to get to the heart of someone else and understand them and feel them as, as if they are you, like that's the intimacy. If that's, if that's the goal of all of this, then intimacy is a massively important path for us to follow. Mm -hmm. Right. And in, in increasing that. Yeah. I'll say one of the things that got me interested in in the intimacy was the Ainsley McLeod book, which was Past Life Fears, and we interviewed him. And in it, it talks about fear of intimacy and like, how do you recognize if you even have a fear of intimacy? And one of the things it said is that you'll notice that you don't give yourself fully to a partner or you don't give yourself fully to your career, like you always have one foot out the door. And it made me think about like all the times that I was in romantic relationships with unavailable people or people that I knew I was like, I'm never going to marry him. And yet I could be so intimate and so vulnerable and surrender completely in a lot of ways and, and share all my deepest feelings. And I could do that. Like if I was traveling and I just met someone on a train, I could be tremendously intimate and share all my secrets Mm. because it was safe because it was like, you're never going to see them again. Or like, you know that this guy you're dating is not going to be the one you're going to marry. So you're totally safe to pretend to be, you know, intimate or not pretend, but like, it's just like, it's safe. Right. And so I started recognizing the ways that I, could be intimate with people who were unavailable or safe in some way, but then when it came to my husband or other people in my life that I'm, you know, that I'm in it for till the end with, like you could say family members or friends, I wasn't always so intimate. It's interesting you say that because I know that I've worked with clients and, and I've had friends as well who've talked about how they go super deep in a relationship that they know is time boxed. 
So it's the same thing. So whether it's a train trip, whether it's you're about to move, whether it's things like that. Like in, t- in fact, I actually know people who will specifically put artificial time boxes, if you can say. I say time boxes as in like, like they'll impose time limits on things by creating an end, a known end at the end of a period of time in order to be able to, you could call it self-sabotage in one way, but you could also call it the enablement of deep intimacy with no strings attached, right? With no long-term consequences. Or maybe it's also training wheels. Like maybe it's not pathological. Maybe it's training wheels. Like, okay, I want to test what intimacy is like, and I'm not ready to do it with with someone who's going to I'm going to deal with on the daily. So let me do it with this uh, one night stand or this uh, person I met on a train or a plane, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I like that. Yeah. Um, Going into intimacy. I also want to talk about just for a second here, the difference between shallow and deep. And I think it's really interesting. My husband will notice it a lot more than I do, but he can look at a person and tell you and say like, do they go, do they go deep or do they stay on the surface? Mm-hmm. I think we can all think of some people who stay on the surface that they don't really go deep. Like imagining them even crying is like, they cry, you know, like, mm. you know, I don't know if you know some people like that, but I'm like, can they, do they cry? Can they cry? Yeah. Will they cry? And I'd like to think that those are younger souls. Like as Ainsley talked about, you have the soul level 1 through 10, 1 through 5 are the young souls, 6 through 10 are the older souls. And maybe like the younger souls are just not going so deep because they don't have anywhere deep to go or maybe they don't want to. Like I'm not quite sure about why people, some people go shallow and some go deep. But you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. I think there's probably some issue there's I think a lot of avoidance tend to be shallow in a lot of ways right but at the same time I think that we all have our patterns of what works well for us right a lot of times you may only see someone go shallow because they're trying to keep everybody else like they may be not wanting to give people not wanting to make people uncomfortable right so for me, I'm a person who always goes deep and I'm just like, we're going to go straight there. I have absolutely no consideration for the fact that that might make, make the other person uncomfortable, right? Because I just, I just love it. That's where I love to go. And I'm always like, well, the person who comes across me, we're going to go deep, right? Whereas a shallow person may be, and this isn't shallow, I should rephrase We don't want to say shallow like, oh, petty, but just like not going deep. Yeah. The person who wants to stay more on the surface level, you know, and not, and avoid going deep, maybe actually just trying to make other people feel comfortable. Right, right, right. So not that that's necessarily where we want to go. So one of the things that Ainsley's interview really brought up in me, and I've mentioned this, I think I may have even mentioned this in another episode, is that Ainsley mentioned in, in his interview that he worked with a monk once who had a, had a intimacy problem, but it was an intimacy problem, obviously, since he was a monk. He found out that he had an intimacy with his deep self. And... You know, for me, that is how I kind of got into the intimacy piece of this, right? Because it was truly a matter of recognizing that I, you know, most people who meet me would think that I am very intimate with my deep self, right? They're like, yeah, even Anna, we were having we a We were debating because I was like, you are intimate with yourself. You go deep. Yeah. And for me, I think that's true, but... I think that one of the things that I just want to keep doing is like getting more and more intimate with my deep self, if that makes sense. Right. So like for me, I think you're right that I do maybe like compared to other people, 
I maybe go really deep, like that's where I go. But at the same time, I also recognize that there are a couple of, there are key times when I'm meditating in which I want, I feel myself sinking into this really, really deep state. And I just like, I feel like I get pulled up by the scruff of my neck back up to a more shallow level in meditation. And I can tell you that one time I remember I was on mushrooms and this was a very long time ago when I was in college, but I was on mushrooms and it was a very, very intense trip. And I remember understanding a lot about the universe. And I came to that place where I, you know, as everyone does with mushrooms and medicine of any sort, right? But like, I came to that place where my identity was gone. But I could see my identity sitting out there. And I could see myself without my identity. And it was like, I, even in the moment of being in a, in a hallucinatory experience, I was just like, oh my God, I have to keep my identity. Like if I don't keep my identity, I die. Like I just had this innate understanding that if I lost my identity, then that was it. I was never coming back. Right. <laughs> we had people at our school do drug awareness by like coming in and telling their horror stories about like LSD and getting caught in trips and stuff like that. So for me, I think I also had that education in my head of being like, oh my God, if I lose my identity, I'm going to like literally just become a vegetable in this other world and like still have a body and not be able to do it. But you know, that is an example of where I would love to transcend identity, but every time I get close to it, I'm just like, fuck, I have to have my identity. So, yeah. Well, what are other ways that you think you're not intimate with yourself? Other ways that I'm not intimate with myself are that I feel like I do a lot of perpetrator fallacy. We talked about this in season one when we talked about the different deal breakers and deal makers. Is that correct? Yeah. It was in that episode, right? And perpetrator fallacy is the type of thing where you always take responsibility for something, even if it's not your responsibility. And one of the tricky things with perpetrator fallacy is that you can't because you take responsibility for everything you don't actually, like in some ways you do believe you're responsible for everything, but in other ways, since you're responsible for everything, you don't actually try and sift out the stuff that you're... You're placating. No, it's like, it's like, like imagine, imagine that you just had like, you just took all the food from someplace, even if it was good, even if it was bad, you're just taking all the food. And instead of being like, I don't know why I'm using food as an example, but like, you just, you're just, you're like, I'm responsible for everything. So I'm just going to take all the food. And because you have all the food, you don't bother to sort out the rotten food from the good food. Right? So in other words, like if I take responsible for everything, even things that aren't my fault, I then don't take the time to sift out and say, this was my fault. This wasn't my fault. Do you see what I'm saying? By taking everything, you don't then do you the next step growth. and you don't, you don't actually grow. You don't actually take the next step of recognizing that you are where you are at fault. So you just kind of create victim stories, right? You just kind of create drama triangle stories, whatever you want to say that basically is like, well, I'm responsible for everything now. And it's like, well, no, you're not responsible for everything. But actually, Christina, if you look at it, you are responsible for this part. And this is where you were irresponsible. And this is where you didn't act mm -hmm. in the best possible. You know, this isn't this is where your trauma response came in or this is where something else happened. So that intimacy and really understanding fully 
the pieces of yourself that you need to work on is something that is one of the things of the intimacies that I've been trying to pull up in myself. All right. And then, so for me, I guess I've been looking more at how I avoid intimacy with others. And like, I've always identified with the anxious attachment because of the abandonment wound and like how I cling and therefore push away people. But then I started to notice, I guess with this mother course, how I am avoidant in some ways, like you know, like I'll save certain house chores for when my kids get home to, from school so I don't have to interact with them. Yeah. And do you know what I'm saying? I do. And, I know um, exactly what you're saying. I do it with work. And, and I feel like that must be an avoidance of intimacy on some level. And I just start noticing like different ways that I avoid connecting with other people or sharing my full self with other people. Like I joke that I have like eight best friends and... I feel like all eight of them know different things about me that like if you put them all together that would be the full me but I don't share all of me with any one person yeah other than me (laughs) (laughs) I'm just joking yeah well probably you see the most of me you know you see the most of me and my husband probably sees the most of me uh, and my sister and then beyond that it's like you know I, I I I don't know. I just started realizing like I avoid intimacy because I only will share myself, parts of myself with the people who I feel are safe. So like if someone I know is non-judgmental about this certain thing and I know that she's even done that certain thing, then it makes me feel so much more open and honest and willing to talk to her about doing that thing too or wanting to do that thing. Yeah, I can think of an example. So I can think of an example is... If y'all have seen me on TikTok, you know that I like don't wear makeup and don't do anything like that. And it's like, for me, it's a, it's a kind of an old mother wound thing, guidance mother wound thing. But like, like I know that every time you want to do that, you're always like, don't think of me as silly or don't think of me as vain. And I'm always just like, I don't think of you as any of those things. Right, right. right. But I'm sure you have friends who are... Are as vain as me or more so. And I feel totally comfortable being like hey, look at this cute way I styled my hair today where like I would never feel safe doing that with you because I'm scared you're going to judge me because you don't care about your hair. Right, right, right. So that's that's an example. Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a good example. And it's like, and it's a, it's a funny example too, because for me, complimenting people on their looks is a super avoidant trait for me, right? Because I don't want to like, I don't want them to then look at me and be like, well, you look like shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the irony is you're gore- drop dead gorgeous, <laughs> no, naturally. But, but you know, because I don't, I don't like, I don't, I just like don't eat because I don't care about my looks and because I feel like that's a part of me that I would like to like, I would love to, to care about myself more in that way. Right. I avoid saying that people like, like so many people I know, so many women I know, the first thing that they say when they see each other is, you look so beautiful and you look so great and oh my gosh, you've improved or whatever. And I know that I don't do that because I don't want people to have to lie to me about how I look, right? So I just avoid the conversation so it's about altogether. judgment. It's all about judgment. Yeah. Like, for example, like with this wild fit diet I was talking about in the beginning, you know, you take your before and afters and like yesterday I felt really cute in my bathing suit. So I took a whole bunch of selfies of me in my bikini and I sent them to three friends, you know, three friends that I trust that I'm like, hey, look at, look at my body. Look how good I'm looking, you know? And I sent it to three women And why did I choose those three friends? Because those three friends have sent me, you know, near nude shots of them when their body has changed or whatever. And so I'm like, 
I don't know. I just felt safe. It's like, she's done it. I can do it. She won't judge me. I don't judge her. You know, a funny example would be like, you know, you ask all these women in Hollywood and they all swear they've never had plastic surgery or Botox when it's like, clearly they have. And why are they lying? Like, mm. why are they lying about something so obvious? And it's because of fear of judgment. And I'm sure so-and-so who had a Brazilian butt lift or whatever would feel totally safe telling another person who got it done that they got it done. But when the National Enquirer or People Magazine asks them, they're going to say no and lie. Because why? Because it's a protection thing. It's mother wound. When we talk about protection, you have to protect yourself from judgment of others. So the more judgmental someone is or the more judgmental you perceive someone to be, you are not going to share that side of you. Right, but also... The National Enquirer does not deserve that level of intimacy with you. I know. Like I emotional, know. I know. anything like that. I know. So, they so, shouldn't be asking people what no, procedures but, they did because that's, that's fucking rude. But the point is we shouldn't have to lie about who we are or what we do to protect ourselves. And yet we do. Right. But my point is, is more so that like when it comes to intimacy, there is obviously this very important part of intimacy, which is to is that we live in a world and we live in an apparent world. And there are some levels of intimacy that like the apparent apparent reality requires of us that we don't necessarily share with everybody, right? Right. So. And maybe there's nothing wrong with any of this. Like, I'm just kind of talking about what it is, and I shouldn't have used words like should. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. But, like, you know, it is that it is. If I sent a photo of me in a bikini to a friend who doesn't fucking care or thinks it's vain or would be annoyed by it, like, you know, I guess it's like you also have to be careful... Right, but at the same time, when you say thinks it's vain, like, you assume that I think that you're vain, despite the fact that I literally do not, like, you know, I don't think that at all. So it's like, we are also projecting our reasons for avoiding onto other people sometimes too, right? So like, for me, like, I could assume, like, I I know a lot of people who don't feel comfortable with, like, close people and partners telling them about their deep spiritual work, especially if it's witchy, Right? Uh Because they think that other people are going to reject them. Right? I can't tell you how many people are like, well, this might sound crazy. And they're like, oh, but for you, like when they talk to me about it, they're like, well, I can talk to you about it freely because I haven't projected that you're going to think I'm crazy. Right? right? So there's, there's two parts of this. There are situations in which it is actually unsafe to do something or you, you know, you're going to get scrutinized or you're going to get bullied or you're going to get, you're going to get exactly the response that you expected. Right? And then there's situations where in some ways opening up your intimacy to other people, right? So if you were to show me a picture of a bikini, then you would be opening up that channel for me to send one back to you, right? So maybe it would help me grow in my intimacy with myself and with you if you were to show me a bikini picture of yourself because then I could show you my bikini picture of me, right? You know what I mean? Because you are like a perfect example of like, like when I like get dressed up, or when I do anything, I like think of the things that you've taught me and I think of the things that like, and I'm like, what would Anna do in this situation? She would do this and she would do this and you become a guide for me to become more intimate with my own physical appearance and like help me grow in that way, right? Because you've shared in the moments that we've shared the intimacy, you've shared that intimacy with me. Right. You've been, you know, you've been intimate and be like, well, you're, you, you could do this or you should probably get this or you just do that, right? It's like, it's a level of I'm intimacy. Like, Don't do your eyebrows dark. Yes, we know this. I literally look like the girl from <laughs> Hey Arnold who has the really big unibrow. <laughs> right? But that's the point. 
point, right? Is that like, that is a moment of intimacy. And I don't even know which one it falls into. Honestly, it's emotional intimacy, I think, because it's like a a fear of not being judged, you know, is that like, I think, I think it all comes down to like, at least for me, because I've been in the protection theme. Yeah. For me, it's about protection. Like, I will only be intimate when, when I feel safe, when I feel like it's, I'm protected. And the least judgmental somebody is, the more safe I feel to share things with, you know? Right. But my question is, is what, like for in this instance, like, have I ever been judgmental of you and your parents? About my parents? No, not at all. Right. You never have. I projected on to to you. Right. But at the same time, that's probably like a safe, I mean, like I'm not judgmental, you know, but in some ways it's safe because I don't. Because maybe I'll make you. Maybe on some level, I feel like it would make you uncomfortable too. Maybe I'm. Yeah. Trying maybe to because I'm. You. I'm not. I'm. I'm not up to that standard, so to speak. You know what I mean? So it's it's just a really interesting conversation to like recognize. Like if we were to try and to distill this for y'all, it's it's a it's a very interesting conversation because you know intimacy is something that is like an olive branch in a lot of ways. It's like one person in a relational intimacy extends the olive branch, which makes it safe for the other person to, to then take the olive branch. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so as we grow and as we are more self-assured and we start to love and grow intimacy with ourselves, then we are able to understand and actually have that vulnerability first and, and start offering the olive branch all around. Right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you start being the first one to, to offer intimacy to other people because maybe you've, you've recognized that it's safe and that nothing can harm you. Right. You know? So I have this quote from Rumi, this Sufi poet. He says, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. And so it kind of goes back to the very first episode of season one when we talk about that there is no bad, there is no good, there is only resistance, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, what in you is resisting love? What in you is resisting intimacy? You don't have to go looking for intimacy or looking for love. You merely need to pull away your resistance to it. And so what is the resistance to to intimacy? I think it's judgmentalness. Mm -hmm. And what does judgmentalness comes from? It comes from ignorance. It's about not recognizing the parts of you that are the same. So, you know, like, you know, I had a friend recently text me and she's like, gosh, maybe I have a mother wound because I'm only attracted to older women who are like 30 years older than me. And she's like, maybe I have a mother wound. And I was like, well, maybe you do, or maybe that's just what you like. And like, you like what you like. And there's no shame in that. Like, there's no shame that you have a type or that you have a, you know, a preference. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that by me being not judgmental about her particular taste in women, maybe that helped her feel like she's safe to be intimate with me and talk to me about something like that again, you know, versus being like, yeah, that's fucking weird. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the more you can be accepting and non-judgmental when people come to you and share with you, I feel like that, that is the foundation of intimacy. Yes. 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 Of creating a deeper connection, right? In which people can, can, share more of themselves because ultimately that's you know I, I talk about this in a TikTok about compartmentalization and how compartmentalization is a very avoidant trait but I think it's an insecure attachment trait I think it's a mother wound trait because of that same thing because if you're emotionally intimate with one person you're mentally intimate with another person you're physically intimate with another person you're never sharing your whole self then then 
you know, you're having to pick and choose what parts of yourself to share at any given point, which means that you don't accept every part of yourself as lovable. Right. Because right. everyone is our mirror. So if you're judging something in them, you're really judging something in you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what it come. you know, if, if there's any part of you that is unlovable to anybody, then that means it's a part that you are judging that you are unlovable in yourself. Like uh, to, to kind of, to put it a different way is that like, if there are certain friends of yours who you feel safe showing the bikini picture to, <laughs> that means that there's a part that, you know, if 30% of your friends you can share a bikini picture to, that means that 70% of your friends you can't. And if your friends are a reflection of yourself, that means there's 70% of you that doesn't love yourself in that way. So maybe I should just post the bikini picture on social media. <laughs> right. But then there's also the conversation of like, of like, you know, you can do that. And then you can also then open yourself up to scrutiny of strangers who like, aren't even in your circle of intimate, you right, know, right. intimacy, that kind of thing. So, right. Yeah. There's, there, there are levels of intimacy that, that we are all, we all work towards. And some of us are able to, to go out and absolutely not care about any of the scrutiny of like the public at large, especially the social media public at large, but you know, do what's safe for you for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about, you know, we like to give people hacks and tools. So can you give me some examples of things you're doing? Or I could give yeah. some examples of things I'm doing to like remove the resistance to intimacy. Yeah. So I would, I would be happy to. Okay. So for me, my intimacy journey was very interesting, right? So it started with Ainsley saying about the monk, he doesn't have intimacy with himself. I've given you guys examples of that. So what I did was I actually took an internal family systems approach to it, right? Is that for me, I recognized that I had a cl- cluster is one way to say it, but basically I had a cluster of different parts, right? So to give you guys the context for IFS again, the idea is that each of us has a self, which is like the higher self, which is actually the ultimate leader. And then we all have parts and those parts are managers or firefighters. They're basically protectors of our inner children that have yet to be kind of recovered. They're called the exiles. So you have parts that are managers and firefighters who are protecting exiles. And those parts can start to overwhelm our character. They can start to control our behavior. They can start to do all that kind of stuff, right? Because they are asked to come forward to, to manage all the things that are going on in our inner systems, right? So given that you can go into, when you do uh, work with internal family systems, you can go into yourself and recognize that there are parts that are coming forth with maladaptive behaviors or with other things like that, with trauma responses, there are parts that are coming forth that you can address to be able to effectively kind of hire for a different job, right? You can you can kind of recognize to say like, oh, look, I have a person who always falls, makes me fall, like I have a part that always falls asleep during meditation. Anytime I'm in meditation, that part wants to fall asleep. It gets tired every single time. That is a part of me that has been taught to fall asleep when I am about to get intimate with my deep parts, right? Mm -hmm. And that part, I need to address that part and be like, yo, I don't want to fall asleep during meditation. I want to go deep into meditation. What do you need to be okay so that you don't need to fall asleep with meditation? That part will then be like, well, I'm protecting this exile, this inner child of you when you were, you know, 
six years old or even when you were in a past life and that part, you know, would get into big trouble when they went to meditation. This is a bad example because you can't necessarily get into big trouble, but they would perceive (laughs) that they got into big trouble when they got into meditation. So I, you know, or that, that part doesn't like to get bored. So meditation is boring. So my job, and this is, this is all just a bunch of bullshit as you can hear, like it's just a part who has a role who doesn't really have a full understanding of what they are protecting or what they're trying to prevent. Who's just like, yo, I'm going to take over the controls and make this person fall asleep. Right. So that's the, the idea. So for me, I went into my fear of intimacy and I literally had 30 different parts to address Mm. at least, if not more, I've actually discovered a lot more and they were so many. Some of them were, just to give you an example, there was a sleeping one. There was also one that liked to get distracted and go into imaginary worlds whenever I tried to like get to the heart of something or start a process, right? Got easily distracted. There was the part of me that um, hated men. There was a part of me that hated women. So the misandrist and the misogynist were both in that group, right? Because if I... If I blanketly hate someone, if I blanketly hate women, then I blanketly hate myself, which means I can't get intimate with myself. I can't like extend the olive branch, right? Because I, I I feel like I'm I'm getting to the heart of, and in in this conversation, we've gotten to the heart of my understanding of intimacy, which is intimacy is is laying the bridge and the foundation for connection and love. And if I hate the part of me that is female, then I cannot extend that. So I cannot love the parts of me that are feminine, right? Like I cannot love, intimately love the parts of me that make me female. And then also the misandrist, right? Um, The one who hates men is going to be preventing my intimacy with my husband, right? So that goes even outside the self, right? And it's like, oh shit. So we're, I found out that this cluster was not just intimacy of self, like intimacy with self. It was my intimacy with other people because... Ultimately, when you go deeper with another person relationally, you go deeper with yourself, right? It forces you to go deeper with yourself. Yeah. So, so even something that didn't appear to apply to me, since I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't identify as man in this life, but maybe it's the hate, hatred of my masculine aspects, which we talked a lot about this season, or it's the hatred of men, which makes it so that I then can't get in an intimate place with my husband, which means I can't intimately open up myself and become intimate with myself. So, you know, that's just a handful of some of the parts that I came across. So for, you know, if you're coming into this, you can come into this from kind of an IFS perspective and recognize that there are probably more than one part or, or part of you that may be contributing to this. It could just be that there's one or or the other and you can go into a a villain constellation, which is kind of like a feed your demon. You could go into a villain constellation process. You could go into a number of different processes to address this part, going into a meditation, addressing this part and really recognizing that you are able to kind of piece by piece unwind what it is that is your fear of intimacy and and kind of undo it that way, right? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So I have like two ways that I've been working on my intimacy resistance. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to say I'm looking for intimacy. I think intimacy will just show up if I can pull off the resistance to it, right? So the first one was a past life regression, which I'll put in the show notes like what book I used. It was an Ainsley McLeod book, audio book. And basically it's a past life regression. You go back, remember a past life that where you go back to the origin of where your fear of intimacy came from. Like, so I did that and that was very helpful. And then... That was for like 
just in general, like in general understanding why I'm scared of other people or how I see, why I see other people as a threat. I'll actually say that there's three methods, not two. Okay. The third one will be our mother wound course. Yeah. Which is helping me understand how I use protection as this armor that protect that keeps me from connecting with others and even villainizing people who have hurt me. Yep. So there's that. Um, and then the second one is Ho'oponopono. And we have a whole episode about this. Season one, episode 14, my favorite episode. And we'll be airing it next week, actually, as a great reminder. But for me, Ho'oponopono is one of the best ways to increase intimacy. So Ho'oponopono, if you're not familiar, is basically radical forgiveness. And there's four sentences that you say within it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. And so... For me, at least at least the game I'm playing right now with intimacy is I'm asking myself, how can I let go of any resistance I have to others? Because whatever resistance I have to others is keeping me from being intimate with them and therefore ultimately intimate with myself. Mm-hmm. So I like to play the game of starting with, like for me, the tool I like to use is interpersonal relationships, right? Like I'm not so worried about being intimate with myself. Maybe I'm in denial, but I don't think I have issues being intimate with myself. I think I have issues with intimacy with others, in a, which is ultimately a direct relationship with my own intimacy with myself. So for example, I was really mad at somebody about something. So I did Ho'oponopono to them. So what does that look like? Like I'm going to make, I'm going to make the, I'm going to make it up right now. Okay. I'm going to say that the person refuse to wash their dishes. Yep. Okay, let's just say that. Okay. So I was really mad at my friend because she refused to wash her dishes. So fuck her. I really fucking hate her and I want to connect with her, but I'm fucking pissed at her because she's a selfish little brat. Okay? Yes. Yeah. And part of intimacy is also being totally honest with yourself that like, yeah, I can be that petty and hateful. Mm. Because I think a lot of times we try to pretend that we don't have these hateful, petty thoughts. But yeah, I was like, she's a fucking selfish little bitch. Mm. Okay. So, so I'm like, okay, she's a fucking selfish little bitch. She's not washing her own dishes, let's say. There's a part of me that's worried that this is me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just trying to think of an example because I feel like dishwashing is like a... It's a trigger for you. It's No, well, it's a, it's a universal one. Like mm. everyone listening has to wash their own dishes unless they have hired, like a really good hired help or use this only paper plate. So I feel like everyone can relate to washing dishes. Yeah, yeah, no, I, and, and I should clarify, I do wash my dishes, <laughs> but there's a part of me that's like, oh God, maybe she's talking about me. Okay. That's just a part. Okay, just a part. <laughs> so I'm on my walk and I'm like, okay, okay. I wanna, I wanna forgive this person for not washing the dishes. So first, I wanna, I say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I love you, thank you. So I say, I'm sorry for wanting you to be a petty little bitch. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry for wanting you to be a petty little bitch. Forgive me for thinking that you're a petty little bitch. I love you for being a petty little bitch because having is wanting, which is essentially saying if you are in my reality and you're acting like a petty little bitch, it's because on some level I want you to be that. So um, I'm sorry for wanting you to be a petty little bitch. I love you. I love you because you are fulfilling the role of petty little bitch so well. Thank you. Thank you for being a petty little bitch because I get to have this whole little dialogue with myself and grow in intimacy. Okay, so that's number one. Then I do it again and I do it from a different perspective. I say, I'm sorry to myself for thinking that I even need to play out this whole game with a friend that I love, that I care about. Like, why am I wanting to be an asshole to someone who I love? I'm sorry for that. Please forgive me, self. Forgive me for being such a petty bitch of a friend that I'm going to think my friend's a petty little bitch. 
I love you. I love you even if you're a petty little bitch. Even if you see her as a petty little bitch, I love both of you. And thank you for this whole dialogue, which has helped me grow in love and, and forgiveness. And then I do it again. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, so I go through everything. I'm sorry that you didn't wash your dishes. I'm sorry that that triggered me so much. Thank you for not washing your dishes. I love you. You know, and then you just go layer by layer by layer, all the different parts of it until you get to the end and you're like, I absolutely have nothing left to forgive in this person or to forgive in myself. And I think for me, that's where my intimacy grows because when I get to look really clearly at all the different pieces that are playing into the interpersonal dynamic where I'm resisting loving my friend, I can recognize the parts of me that are ugly and petty. I can recognize the parts in her that are ugly and petty. And then I can come to forgive them in both of us. And in doing that, I recognize that we're both human and we both make mistakes and it's all kind of beautiful. And then I don't want to hate her anymore. And then I love her again. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. that's my tool for intimacy. That's such a is, wonderful is explanation of it. I've, I've actually never heard you explain it that way before. And that was so, so really? useful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, you may have done it back in that, that 114. Well, I don't know. Because like, I had a friend who, who like texted me the other day and she's like, you know, I just realized that Ho'oponopono is about healing yourself. It's not about healing the other. And I was like, she's listened to that episode. I was like, holy shit, was I not clear? <laughs> well, it's funny because when I've ever done Ho'oponopono in the past... I, I, I've started to do it more because I was doing more true forgiveness, right? Where I'm like seeing the person is perfect. In a lot of ways, I'm sorry, forgive me, I love you, thank you, was like, it was all always almost all centered around, I'm sorry that I feel the need to see this conflict in the world, right? I'm so, I, forgive me for, for recognize or for feeling as if this conflict is necessary. You know what I mean? Like I almost always went to that level. I didn't go to like the European, you know what I mean? Like I didn't go to the smaller levels. I was always just going straight to that top. Oh, level. I, I'll start at the most petty level and then go deeper, deeper, deeper until I feel like it's all gone. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. That's beautiful. That's what I'm saying. It's so useful to hear that, to hear you explain that exact process is yeah. really, really good. So thank you. Right. Yeah, I do it until there's no charge. Yeah. There's no emotional charge left. And yeah. I'm not doing it to escape. So here's another thing. And we talk with Jeff Brown next season. You're going to hear a great interview. And he talks about grounded spirituality. And he says, you know, we all say, I'm going to overcome this. And I'm going to rise above this. And he's like, don't rise above, rise into. Like, don't, don't think that spirituality is above all this. Don't let it go go into it like don't don't think that letting go of things is where the juice is it's going into them completely so i'm not doing ho'oponopono to rise above my pettiness or rise above my anger i'm doing it to just dive ahead first deep into my pettiness dive head first deep into my anger and when i do so i recognize it's a beautiful human experience and you could say then i'm transformed but i'm not trying to rise above it yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. You're not bypassing it, right? Yeah. There's no there's no forgiveness bypass in this, right? Yeah, that's that's a really that's really beautiful. Thank you. So ultimately, you know, as we've gone through this conversation, in my mind's eye and my psychic eye, I've really started to see how in a lot of ways intimacy is like the bridge that we create between people in which love can move back and forth. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really important in this process of intimacy is recognizing that there is a level of the kind of sacred marriage that we've talked about this season, which is about the masculine and feminine aspects within our own selves or within our relationships in which a very important part of that 
is the masculine aspect, which is going to kind of reach out and give and kind of move, you know, give to somebody else. But it's also very, very important to recognize the feminine aspect of that, which is the, the, the aspect of surrender and receiving, right? And receiving the intimacy that someone else is giving you is just as important as reaching out with your own intimacy. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and recognizing when people are doing that and recognizing when, you know, there are continual bridges that people are kind of, you know, trying to build, right? But just like with every arch bridge, you have to build it from both sides, right? You know, there's, and so being able to recognize when to receive the intimacy that someone else has given you is just as much a part of healing from the mother wound. It's just mm-hmm. as much as part of this conversation. It's probably the giving. nurturance part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're letting it in. You're, you're letting, letting it, it in. Yeah. You're receiving. You're receiving the intimacy that someone's giving you, which is such a gift. And it's so. It can be very difficult when we don't think that we deserve it. Right. Right. Like if we didn't receive it, then we don't necessarily. You know, if we didn't receive it in our formative years, if we didn't, then we can believe we don't. We are not worthy of it, so we repel all those attempts at intimacy that other people are when they're trying to give it to us. Right. Well, if we're thinking about it in terms of mother wound and we're thinking, okay, my ability to be vulnerable and expose myself and be intimate with another has a lot to do with protection. Do I feel safe? Okay. And then my ability to let it in, to eat it essentially, to let that intimacy in and let it nourish me is the nourishment piece. What would be guidance in terms of intimacy? We let our therapists be intimate with us, right? We receive the gift of intimacy from them. Their job is to sit there and give guidance and give guidance as we are being, we are opening and are exposing ourselves and being incredibly intimate, emotionally intimate, maybe even spiritually intimate or mentally intimate with our, with our therapists, right? So our therapists are there. They literally, their job is to be a bridge, a, a pre-built bridge that then we can, we can share, you know, we can then extend to to be able to be intimate with. Right. And, you know, we trust therapists because we trust the guidance. We we trust that they are not going to betray our intimate, the, the, the vulnerability that we've given them and being intimate, the extension of intimacy to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we accept their advice because we know that we can trust it. Right. So trust is a huge, huge part of, of extending the intimacy when it relates to guidance. Right. Because it's like, when somebody is giving you advice, if you've had, if you've ever had a kid and you have somebody who's giving you unsolicited advice, especially if they're a person who doesn't have children, right, right, like they're like, well, I know I don't have any kids, but I'm gonna tell you how to raise kids, and then you're just like, fuck you, I don't trust you, you don't have the expertise, you know, right. you don't have any of the authority yeah. to be able to do it. So there is a lot of this. This is about trust. Whether you trust that they're safe, whether you trust that their guidance is good, whether you trust in anything like that, and right. and so you know, I think that part of that intimacy bridge is very very key when it comes to trust. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So in summary, this whole episode is basically about intimacy is a never ending journey and we're all going to find our resistance to it in different places. And I think if we want to grow in intimacy and self-love and love and connection with the other, we try to remove those resistances and, yeah, I don't think we have like a great blanket answer here, but, but just basically right. surrender and love and recognizing the resistance you're having to intimacy is in essence how you'll heal this. Yeah, so it's about it's about creating those healthy boundaries, right? So that you don't let in and you don't create intimacy with someone who you can't trust. 
but then anyone who's inside that boundary you extend to you trust you receive and you give intimacy So I want to end it on a nice little quote here because I think that this quote very nicely ties in the whole, I need to be intimate with myself and forgive myself and not judge myself. And I need to be forgiving and intimate and accepting of others, right? Like you need both, right? They're like two two sides of the mm-hmm. same coin. So this is a quote from Esther Perel. Love rests on two pillars, surrender and autonomy. Our need for togetherness exists alongside our need for aloneness. Interesting. Very Do you like good. that? Yeah. Or I'm thinking I'm thinking about it. I think it's about it's about it's like a boomerang, right? Like like I can't just love and forgive and accept all of you if I'm not also doing that for myself and my aloneness and my quiet space and my own heart and my meditation and my ho'oponopono. Like it's like you were saying in the very beginning, how do you give your children nurturance if you don't have it? Yeah. How do you give another person acceptance if you don't give it to yourself? Yeah. Yep. And it's also, I think in a lot of ways, she's talking about that masculine and feminine aspect, right? The aloneness and the sitting with your own self in intimacy with yourself is the masculine aspect, yeah. right? And then the other part, the extending outward to the community, the, the, the receiving and the reception of that love and intimacy is the feminine aspect, right? So it really, that quote kind of wraps up everything that we've done this season in a beautiful way. Thanks for listening. And we will be taking a three week break, but still airing some bonus episodes each week on Tuesday. Yes. Enjoy. Thanks y'all. Thanks for listening this season. And that wraps up our third season of this spiritual fix. We'll only be taking a short break Join us on Instagram, this.spiritual.fix, if you want to hear our bonus in-between episodes. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer... One girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover. Hi, y'all. Listening to the last season of This Spiritual Fix may have stirred up for you some awareness of how the mother wound ties into so many of our subconscious needs and desires in our daily lives. Well, we've put together a comprehensive five-week course on this mother wound, complete with meditations, journal prompts, and never-before-seen videos and lectures. This course is designed for you to heal your personal and cosmic attachment wounds, reparent yourself, and surrender to the Great Mother. This course is an intense experience for spiritual seekers, and maybe you're not ready for something that intense yet. So we've put together our version of what we call the Shadow Work Essentials course, the Mother Wound Mini to give you access and awareness to this wound with tools to process your energy and to remember the Cosmic Mother's love for you. I cannot emphasize enough how much this work has changed my relationship with my partner, my kids, my family, and the world. It can be life-changing for you too. Go to our shop, 
www.thisspiritualfix.com forward slash shop for more details.